Would you read with me, please, this selection from Psalm 130, reading together. From the deep water I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, listen to me. Pay attention to my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, were to keep track of sins, O Lord, who could stand before you? But you are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. I rely on the Lord. I rely on him with my whole being. I wait for his assuring word. I yearn for the Lord more than watchmen do for the morning. Yes, more than watchmen do for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the Lord exhibits loyal love and is more than willing to deliver. He will deliver Israel from all the consequences of their sins. We will be in Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to study your word. And as we look at this psalm and uh, the specific things that it says, help us to understand them. And Lord, help us to to be comforted and challenged by them. Uh, Lord, we just ask for your word to be real and powerful in our lives. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Next week will be our, uh, we have kind of a traditional Thanksgiving communion service, so there won't be a sermon or anything, and, and um, <clears throat> just want you to come, and we will spend some time doing the singing stuff that we normally do, uh, but instead of a sermon, we'll do some, we'll have opportunities for you to share. So if you've got a verse that you'd like to read or something like that, there'll be points in time for that, and, and even for the kids, there'll be some time for them to be able to share something. So kind of keep that in mind as, uh, as you have your Thanksgiving this weekend, and uh, as we join next Sunday, and we'll be celebrating our our communion service on that Thanksgiving weekend. I don't know about you, but I've always had a great imagination, and I've always wished, and and now not lately, but you know, in the past, that I could find a magic lamp that had a genie in it. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but there have been times when I thought, man, how cool would that be? Just rub that lamp, the old genie pops out, and you get your wishes, and and then I was thinking about the movie Aladdin, and I, I love the, the explanation the genie g- gave when he popped out. He says, you've got three wishes, but I can't make someone fall in love with you. I can't kill someone for you. I can't bring someone back from the dead. And you cannot wish for three more wishes, which is where I would have started. But anyway, <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. As you think through what we may wish for, we may not wish for. Our culture sometimes, and sometimes even Christians, look on God as a genie. Oh, you know, you just do the right things or say the right words, and he has to do what you tell him to do. Nothing could be further from the truth, and yet that does kind of creep in in different places from time to time. Now, Psalm 130 is, again, one of those psalms of ascent. Uh, many people feel that from Psalm 122 or 24 all the way through 130. Anyway, there's 15 of them, <laughs> and this is right in the middle, um, that the people of Israel used that, those psalms as almost a devotional as they prepared and maybe walked and, and traveled from Galilee down to Jerusalem. They were thinking through those, those particular psalms. There's also a possibility that as they ascended or went from Jericho up into Jerusalem, that there were different places where they would stop and recite those various psalms. 
And then, of course, there were 15 steps in the temple, going up into the temple, and there were those that would actually stop on each step and, you know, pray, pray or sing one of those psalms. So that's why it's, they're called the Psalms of Ascent. Um, this one is one of my favorites. Uh, there's just so many wonderful truths in this one. So let's just jump in real quick. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for help. I call to you for help. Um, out of the depths of despair, this, this whole idea here is the, that it's almost as if you're in this huge storm in the ocean. And that's kind of the imagery. When they think of despair and the depths of the sea, they think of chaos and they think of no hope whatsoever. That's the idea coming through as they're saying the depths of despair. Um, I call for your help. Now, <clears throat> in, in Hebrew, many times there's a word that has so much rich content to it that it can be translated three or four different ways. And if you look at this verse 1, you're going to see, it says, I call for your help, I call for mercy. Um, and, and, and so there's several things there. But the whole point of it is, you're looking to God instead of yourself to make it through the situation. Now, the other thing sometimes we forget is that this is poetry. It's not a narrative where it's a historical thing that you can kind of watch, you know, and, and it's not doctrinal in the sense that you can kind of follow what Paul's saying and all the ins and outs of the, of the doctrine. But it is one of those books that's poetic, or one of those psalms that's poetic, and yet at the same time gives us amazing truth. I love the way this starts out. Out of the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for help. That's a great devotional verse. You're struggling and hurting. Out of the depths, I cry. Second verse, <clears throat> out of the depths of his prayer, I call for your help, Lord. And he says, hear my cry. Oh, Lord, pay attention to my prayer. And, and <clears throat> some verses, some translations take that and, and say it's a prayer for mercy. And it certainly is that, but it's translated several different ways. Hear my cry, O oh, Lord, for Pay attention, pay attention to my prayer. Um, it's a double statement. And again, Hebrew has these parallel things that go on from time to time. And so hear my cry, O Lord, please listen. And the second one, pay attention to my pray, prayer, O Lord. You, you know, may your ears be attentive to what I'm saying. Verse 3, he goes on to say, Lord, <clears throat> if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive. Now, <clears throat> we need to understand that this is a believer who's praying to the Lord, uh, and unbeliever's sins have not been forgiven, and so they're still, if you will, on that list. Uh, and I don't mean to make it harsher or, or unpleasant, but that's the reality. Um, so when he says, Lord, who could, who could survive if you kept a list of sins? He's speaking to believers who have been forgiven, and for whom when, when God would say, if you say, God, I, I'm sorry about it's gone. He doesn't remember that. It's been forgiven. And we'll see a little bit more in a second here. If you kept the record of sins, who could survive? Who could face God's judgment? Uh, who can be forgiven before the great judge? Well, only those who have believed on Jesus. Um, if you kept a record of sins, who would ever survive? Now, in that time frame, um, and later on, by the time... Um, <clears throat> Jesus had arrived on the scene. The rabbis discussed 
these kinds of things. And they, some of them taught that God had two lists that he kept, one of our sins and one of the good things. And as long as you had more good things than sins, well, then you were okay. Now, let me just say something. That's just totally wrong, okay? They, they taught that, and they taught that out of ignorance. It's very, very clear that the only person who can say, hey, I'm okay, is the person who's come to Christ and has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, oh, Lord, who could ever survive? And then he goes on to say, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. You offer forgiveness. That's pardon. It's a release from punishment. Um, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. And that, that isn't a scared to death, shaking your boots word there. That is the whole idea <clears throat> of reverence and awe, worship and obedience. Matter of fact, the net translation says it this way. But you are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. You see what's coming through here? You've got, you've got God who has taken the list of sins and has tossed them away forever. And that person is rejoicing in the forgiveness that they have. And the reason they're rejoicing in the forgiveness they have is that it points them back to, to the Lord God. And he gets pointed back to the Lord God with, the, with that amazing sense that he's been forgiven. So you are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. Um, and I just love the fact that it says, with you there is forgiveness. That's good news. That's amazing news. And I think sometimes if we've been a Christian for a while, we forget how good that news is. Where would we be? Where would I be if it was not for the Lord and His forgiveness? And, and, and each one of us is capable of incredible evil. It's only as we have come to Christ and we're forgiven and His Holy Spirit works in us that we are able to start moving in the directions that God wants and not in the directions that we would want. Um, the whole idea of, you know, that we might learn to fear you, we might learn to, you know, lift you up and revere you, that flows out of the whole idea of the forgiveness which He's given. And that, what's implied in that is that we are forgiven so that we can reverence and awe, in reverence and awe, we can enter into a relationship with God. That's the whole point that's coming through here. Um, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, we, that's too, too late for us. There's nothing that can be gained at that point. We're lost. But you offer forgiveness so that we can enter into a relationship with you and enjoy the privileges of being your sons and daughters. That's what he's speaking about here. And that's the wonder that is going on. Now, is everybody forgiven? No. Only those who come to God seeking his forgiveness. Um, those who believe in Jesus, that his death paid for their sins once for all, those are the ones that psalmist is referring to here. Those who have gone through that process and moved from death to life by believing that the Lord Jesus Christ died for them. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I've been through some times recently that uh, made me wonder if I was at the end of my rope or not. You know, sometimes you go through a whole bunch of stuff and it just seems all of it comes together at the same time. And maybe you're sitting there saying, boy, this is terrible. I hope it doesn't get any worse. And then, of course, it does. <laughs> maybe you haven't been there, but 
many times I've wondered, okay, is this the bottom? Is this where, where I'm going to end up? Is that what's happening? What's going on, Lord? And the psalmist understands that. Uh, the psalmist felt those kinds of things, and he was desperate in his need for God's help. Uh, verse 2, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That's the NIV. New American Standard says, let to my supplications, listen to my pleading to you with you, Lord God. And and, and then another transition, Lord, I'm crying out for favor, for your grace, for your mercy. Interesting to note here, again, this is a great devotional moment. Please notice that he's not telling God what to do. He's not telling God how to do it. He's saying, God, I need help. You step in. Work in the situation. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, in me and in the situation around. But I long to see you work. And I love that because what the psalmist is conveying here is that out of his desperate condition, he is looking to be totally dependent on God. And that's why he asks God to hear his cry. Lord, I, I want you to hear my cry. Listen to my voice. Listen to... listen to what's going on, and Lord, I, I beg for you to act. question becomes, where do we turn when we're in a desperate situation? Where do we turn when just everything takes and twists us towards despair? Where do we turn when we're needy and hurting? When we're in despair, some would tell us, numb the pain. Just numb the pain any way you want to, whether it's pills or drink or um, pursuing pleasure. Just, just numb it. It'll eventually go away. By the way, that doesn't help. Others would say, well, pretend that nothing's wrong. Just soldier on and you'll be just fine. It'll all go away eventually. And others might say, just give up. Give into the darkness. Give into the depression. Don't worry about it. Psalm 30 teaches us something different than that. Psalm 130 teaches us to cry out to God, to call out to Him and to trust Him. Many times when we cry out to God for help, we might include our suggestions for how we want Him to fix it. Um, Lord, you could fix the problem by doing this, or you could fix my spouse by doing this, or you could fix my kids' attitudes by doing this, or you know that issue with my boss? You could take care of it if you just did this. It's easy to cross from a request to a demand. And I think we need to always keep that in mind. We can lay our hearts open before God. We can scream and holler at God. I don't think it's appropriate for us to tell God what we want him to do. We can speak to him and say, Lord, I'd love for you to fix it in this way, but you're sovereign and I trust you. Please don't hear me saying we have to fake it and be dishonest with God. That's not what I'm saying. Pour your heart out honestly, completely, fully, remembering that we want to learn more and more dependence on God even in those kinds of situations. Why is it that we turn to him? Because he offers forgiveness, because he offers strength, he offers help. And God's not like a genie in a bottle where we just kind of rub it and he has to do what we tell him to do. 
God's not impressed with our demands, but he loves our transparency and our honesty. Why is it that we can cry out to God? Well, it's because he offers forgiveness. And once we've been forgiven, we have that relationship with him. Because God does not keep a list of all our sins, and what an amazing thing that is. Because with God, forgiveness is offered. Because when we accept his forgiveness, our sin is gone forever. Because of that, we can praise and worship him. Psalm 103 gives us that insight, doesn't it? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for, uh, for those who fear him. Now, if you go straight up from here, and unless you actually hit the sun or something, if you just keep going straight, you're going to go straight forever. And that's how big God's love is for us. Uh, I love listening to astrophysicists talk about the, the size and, and the distances in the universe. And, and the, the, you know, how, how high are the heavens above the earth? Well, you can't measure it. That's the reality, and that's how big God's love is. You can't measure it. And then he says, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from him. And again, this is one of those ones where you decide you're going to go east around the world, and you can go east around the world forever because you'll never come to west. That's the beauty of the statement here. What he's saying here in that statement is, that's how far away God has taken our sins and put them. So if you want to go west and try to find your sins, you'll never find them. They're gone. God's list of my sins, gone forever. What an incredible thing. So how should we respond? Verse 4 says, You are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. And so with hearts full of praise, adoration, and worship, with hearts that are full of, of, uh, of reverence for Him. That's how we respond to this amazing, wonderful God who forgives and does not keep a list of sins. So the question is, what are you going through? What kinds of things are you facing? Uh, maybe you're just lonely. Cry out to God. Are you hurting financially or physically? Call on God. You have family member who's wandering from the truth of God's Word. And we have a number in our family that are like that. Cry out to God. Why? Why should we cry out to God? Because He gives mercy and grace and help in our time of need. And that's an amazing and an incredible thing. came across this poem this last week, and I thought, I would share it. <clears throat> God answers prayer. It's in your notes there as well. But God answers prayer. Sometimes when hearts are weak, he gives the very gifts his children seek. But often, faith must learn a deeper rest and trust God's silence when he does not speak. For, <clears throat> for he whose name is love will send the best. Stars may burn out, nor mountain walls endure. But God is true. His promises are sure to those who seek. So as we, as we cry out to God, we must remember that He knows, He understands, and we can trust Him. After all, when we were saved, those sins got thrown 
So far away they can't be found. God does not remember them. He does not keep a list of our sins. Because God forgives and he doesn't keep a list of our sins, verse 5 says, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. And so the word counting here is another one of those really rich words. And your translation may say, I'm waiting on him, or I'm eagerly, expectantly waiting. And the whole point of this word really was to wait with eager anticipation. That's the word. And you can't say it with one English word. <laughs> and so that's what's going on. I'm, I'm counting on the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. That's another one of those parallel statements. I'm counting on and I'm waiting on. I have put my hope, that's a confident expectation, that's trust and belief in the Word of God, in His promises. The psalmist longs for the Lord. This, you you kind of get that sense as you're going through this. I mean, he, he really longs for his relationship with the Lord to keep growing. And there's a passionate, deep drive as you read through this and, and understand some of what he's saying. I'm counting on, I'm waiting on, I'm eagerly expecting, and I can't wait to be able to draw closer. He wants to know him better, and this flows out of God's forgiveness and then out of his desire to be close with his sons and daughters. And then verse 6, I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. Long, long time ago, I used to work in a medical facility and I did the 11 at night to 7 in the morning shift, which <clears throat> sometimes can be pretty rough. And I remember that I could get through 2, 3 o'clock in the morning with no problem at all. Four, three, four o'clock, that's when all of a sudden I, I just hit the wall. And I had to either be standing up or moving or doing something or it would have been really easy for me to fall asleep. But you know what I was longing for as I worked? The sunlight. The sunlight to come in those windows. And once the sunlight hit, I still had to work another couple of hours, but it was a piece of cake once the sun was up. And that's what they're saying here. These guys have been on the wall guarding the city all night long. And, and he says, I long for the Lord the same way that those guards desperately want the dawn to come. That's how he wants to know the Lord and longs for him. Um, we miss, I think, so much sometimes because we don't get the poetry of it all. Uh, in this section, there's three times that the psalmist says he's waiting or hoping for the Lord. Twice he replies that he's counting on the Lord, just like a guard is waiting for the dawn to come. And so there's this growing sense of longing and, 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 and desperate desire to know God better, to know him more and more. And so he waits and he longs for the Lord. Verse 7 says, O Lord, hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel, I'm sorry, hope in the Lord, for the Lord, for it, for with the Lord, there's unfailing love. His redemption overflows. And unfailing love is the Hebrew word hesed. Again, it's translated a whole bunch of different ways because it's such a rich word. Translated many times as unfailing love. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a word that's packed with all kinds of amazing, wonderful things about God. And um, if you want to do an interesting study, just take six or seven translations and look at how they translate, and you'll see that they'll be a little bit slightly different. But the whole idea is God's love never fails. That's the point of it. It's a, it's a love of God that there's a tenderness there, and it's steadfast, and it's unchanging, and all of those things are in that word. So, O Israel, hope in the Lord. With the Lord, there's unfailing love. 
And with the Lord is redemption. His redemption overflows. Okay, so you've been redeemed and your little cup of redemption is there and just, just, just going all over the place. Because he doesn't just redeem, he redeems you. I mean, he redeems you in such a way that you never have to worry about being unredeemed. It can't happen. And, and that's the, again, the, the fullness of what's being said here. Um, the whole idea of being bought back out of slavery and set free, that's, that's the idea of, of the ransom. Um, in verse 8, he says, He himself will redeem Israel. The Lord himself will redeem Israel. And then he goes on, for, from every kind of sin, he will pay the price. And so, again, th- this was written in a time frame for Israel. There are applications for us as well. Um, and they come right, right out of there, the whole idea of being redeemed, being purchased out of slavery and set free. It's an implication here. I just want to take a couple minutes to look at before we, uh, before we move on. <clears throat> Two very powerful doctrines come out in this passage. Like I said, it's not a doctrinal uh, passage, but there's doctrine there. Um, the whole idea of forgiveness and the whole idea of redemption are very clear. God, our forgiver. And verse 3 says, Lord, if you kept the record of sins... Who, O Lord, would ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we may learn to fear you or revere you or honor you. That's why you offer forgiveness, not just so that we're forgiven, but so that we're forgiven. And we see you as a result of that. We see that you're the one who has given the forgiveness at a high, high cost. And that's the cost of our Lord Jesus. You offer forgiveness that we might Revere, honor, and fear you. The other word is God, our Redeemer, and that's in verse 7. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, his redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. And so you've got forgiveness is the canceling of a debt, and it's paid for, and then you've got to be redeemed again. There's the paying of a ransom to set someone free. Colossians talks a little bit about this, Colossians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses. And then a little bit further, God made alive together with him. You were made alive with God, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So God made us alive. How? Forgiving all of our trespasses. How did he do that? Verse 14. Canceling the record of debt, the list of sins. He canceled it. And that stood against us with legal demands. So it's all, you're in the courtroom and you're getting, you know, all of the evidence of burden, you're guilty as everything. And, you know, the judge is about ready to say guilty, take him away when Jesus stands up and says, no, forgiven, totally, completely, and forever here you go. And it's gone. Our sin's gone. No judgment can be made. The debt has been paid, and it has met the legal demands, and it's set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what he says in in Colossians. A great way to think of it is is that it's paid in full. And I, I love this picture
pretty much says it, doesn't it? When we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, dying for us, when we believe on that, whatever list of sins we had, it says paid in full, and they're gone. Old song that we used to sing way back when I was uh, leading our youth group when I was in high school was this one. Why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why? Tell me why was he there? Jesus, the helper, the healer, the friend. Why? Tell me why was he there? And here it comes. All my iniquities on him were laid. He nailed them all to the tree. Jesus, the debt of my sin fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. That's the reality and the truth that comes out in Psalm 130. Peter tells us that we are not redeemed by silver or gold. He goes on to say you were redeemed from the enemy, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was the last sacrifice of atonement that had to be made. When he died on the cross, he was the last lamb that needed to be sacrificed in that way. And we are redeemed because of the precious blood of Christ. That's something that we celebrate. And when we do Lord's communion, when we do the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating that amazing gospel truth that we have been bought, purchased, and that it was the Lamb of God who died for us. All that comes out as we take the Lord's Supper together. So when we're saved and we believe on Jesus Christ, we receive that salvation by faith. And, and because we have been forgiven, we can learn to forgive. Now, I need to say right up front, many times if you're in a really hard or awful place and you're in a position where you may need to forgive someone who's done very evil things, I think you need to forgive. I think the Scripture teaches that. But you're not required to have a relationship with someone who's done those kinds of things. Please understand, I want to make that very clear. Because I do believe we've been saved and we've been forgiven and that we have the ability to forgive others as a result of that. Um, Paul himself said, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy. I wonder, did Paul ever run into any of the people that he had thrown in jail or the relatives of those that he'd had killed. I mean, he himself said he was a violent man, persecutor. Again, it's one of those things that we're not told, and yet my guess is that as Paul continued to go in the faith and continue to do the things he did, that even those who had suffered at his hands would say, wow, look what God has done. Corey Tenboom is one of my favorite, favorite people. Uh, if you know the story, she and her family were helping get the Jewish people out of Germany through the Netherlands, and, went, and they were finally caught, captured by the, by the, by the Nazis. <clears throat> and Corey and her sister were sent to a death camp, and the rest of the family, they never, never knew what happened. Um, but they went to the death camp, and, and they were there for a while, and they suffered kinds of things that you don't even want to think about. They were so horrible and awful. And um, her sister died in the camp, and then 
Corey, and she says the story, by an accident, she was released and, and let go. And after the, after the war, she was going around telling her story and, and helping people to see that God is at work, even in places like um, Ravensbrook, where she and her sister were. And one night she was at a large conference, and she was sharing her story, her testimony, sharing from God's Word and the lessons that she'd learned. And as she looked out, she happened to see one of the guards who had been in Ravensbrook. She knew him instantly, and she remembered the kind of person he was. He was, he was evil. He did all kinds of harsh, horrible, evil things to the women. And he sat through the whole presentation that she gave, and afterwards, when she was done, she saw him make a, just a straight line to come right to her. And she said all she wanted to do was just turn away and walk, just, just go away, get away from him. But she didn't. <clears throat> and this guard came up to her and said, listen, I, I was at Treblinka, and, and I, was, I was an evil man. After the war, I, I was saved. God forgave me. And <clears throat> he looked at her and said, that was... I wanted to meet someone who was a prisoner in the camp and ask their forgiveness. I wish you could hear her say it, but she said, basically, she kind of forced herself to put her hand out there, and and she said, as soon as they shook hands, it's as if the Holy Spirit had just warmed warmed her heart and she was able to forgive we can learn to forgive because we have been forgiven what an incredible God we have what do we take away just a couple of things here we talk of forgiveness there are different forms of it different ways that, that we see it a couple of them that I want to look at today is the first one is judicial forgiveness, and that's God as judge saying, not guilty, or everything is totally expunged. So under judicial forgiveness, we, we understand that we deserve hell, we deserve punishment for sins. We, we understand. We have no reason to be able to approach God. But Jesus died. He paid the price for all our sins. And when we come to the cross and we Believe that he died there for us, trusting that that was enough, and believing that his sacrifice was for us. At that moment, the list of all of our sins is stamped through Jesus' blood, paid in full. Paid in full. When God the judge looks at me, he sees forgiven. He sees forgiven. He doesn't see a list of sins. He doesn't see all of those things that, that have gone on in my past, he does see that I came to him and was forgiven totally. Now, if you're here today and you can't 100% be sure that you've taken that step or made that, uh, that come to Christ and been forgiven, if you've not asked Jesus to take care of the sin in your life and to make you his child, I want to give you the chance to do that now. You can simply bow your head and, and simply say something like this. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I believe you died for me. I desperately need your forgiveness. Please save me and make me your child. The words aren't important, but it is the heart saying, God, I need to be 
saved. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that prayer offered in faith, or does the words aren't important, but it's a turning and saying, I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I trust what he did for me. Second kind of forgiveness is what we might call parental forgiveness. Um, that's the forgiveness of, of God as our Father. And once we accept that the ransom Jesus paid for us is, takes care of the sin problem, and once we know that when we've been born again, we are a part of his family, we've been forgiven, and we belong to him, in God's eyes, he sees us as perfect and holy. He sees us as uh, his sons and daughters. This forgiveness... <clears throat> But if, if at some point we, we stumble and fall and we trip up and we do something we don't want to or say something or act towards someone in a way that we shouldn't, there's been a bit of a break there. Now, there's no, there's no sense of us sinning and losing anything because we don't, but we do lose our fellowship. We lose our companionship, um, and it takes that process. It takes something to have that restored again. Let me just share this example, maybe that'll help. If one of my daughters, now they haven't done this, uh, but if one of my daughters gets really angry with me and, and comes in and yells and hollers at me and swears at me and stomps out the door, our relationship wouldn't be real good at that point. There'd be some kind of stress between us. Now, she walked out and she said some horrible things and behaved in a terrible way. She's still my daughter. Nothing changes the fact that she's my daughter. And, you know, a day or two later, maybe she comes back and we sit down and we talk and she asks me to forgive her, says she's sorry. Uh, and she says, will you forgive me? I say, absolutely. I give her a big hug. And that relationship is restored. It's taken care of. I don't have to go back and think about that. She doesn't go back and think about that. Well, that's what's, that's what's being said here under parental forgiveness. Once we believe on Jesus and we accepted him as Savior, we are born again, period. We stumble, we fall, we sin, we do things we shouldn't do, and we restore the relationship, go back to the way it was by confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What an amazing thing. You know, we struggle sometimes in our Christian walk. I understand that. The wonderful news is that never more than one step back. Turn to Christ and confess. That's it. You, maybe you've wandered a long time and went a long ways away. That's okay. One turn. One step and you're back. What an amazing God. No wonder the psalmist wrote these words for us and reminded us of the fact that we have a God who loves, cares for us, forgives us, and continues to work in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your amazing grace and mercy, for your love for us. Lord, we don't deserve anything that you've given to us, but we're thankful that you have. And we ask that you'd help us today as we leave this place to understand even more 
what it is that you're helping us to know. Help us, Lord, to be like that watchman on the, on the, on the wall, desperately longing for dawn. Help us to be that kind of desperate in our pursuit of you. Help us to seek after you with that kind of a passion. Lord, I pray that for myself and for all my brothers and sisters here. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you for the privilege we have of worship. And I ask that you'd go with us now, that we might honor you this week. In your name we pray. Amen.